Welcome to the Beeson Podcast, coming to you from Beeson Divinity School on the campus of Samford University in Birmingham, Alabama. Now your host, Timothy George. On today's Beeson Podcast, it's time for another sermon. You know, our sermons that Dr. Smith and I introduce, some of them are of the great historic preachers of the past. Today we have a younger, fresher voice, uh, a person named Debbie Blue, who's rather new to me. I actually came across her name through my son Christian. I think they're Facebook buddies or something like that. And I've listened to a number of her sermons, and I find her preaching so engaging so textually driven and yet uh, a little edgy, right on the Very edge, Dr. So. Smith. What, yes. what do you think about it? I, I call uh, her a preacher who is radical with a purpose in terms of her terminology, a kind of evangelical embarrassment is what she's dealing with. She's talking about the incarnation and the resurrection, Christmas and Easter. And I like the way that she continues to say that God came in the world and dwelled in the midst of his people and they killed God and God kept coming back, which is a kind of post-resurrection reality. He not only rose historically, but he keeps coming back to dwell in the midst of his people today. And so uh, for her to challenge us with just talking about the incarnation, which tends to soften it. She just says that um, God came in the midst of his people. God became a human being. They killed God. They abused God. And God came back. Uh, so that she is not just talking about um, a human being. She's saying God became that, which is very striking to me. You know, incarnation, of course, is one of the great themes of the Bible and certainly of the Christian faith. Uh, and we think of particularly Christmas, this season of the year, uh, texts being from the narrative of John, uh, from, from Matthew or Luke or maybe John, the word became flesh. Yes. She goes with Mark. Yes. Mark chapter one. Yes. And from that, she makes this powerful, uh, connection to the, the most basic premise of the Christian faith, God yes. became a human being yes. in Jesus of Nazareth. And what does that mean for us today? Yes. And she moves by just saying really gospel, as she said, from the Hebrew word, uh, means to smooth the wrinkles from your face. She says, I like that. But it is from that point, the truth comes in in dyes. It gets dark, as she says. There is no nativity scene. And by the third chapter of Mark, they are planning on killing God. Uh, and so it is her uh, confrontation with the way we talk about Christmas and Easter, uh, particularly uh, uh, Christmas with cookies and Santa, Santa Claus and Rudolph and elves and and uh, Linus and Charlie Brown. She says, even my kids tend to think of it that way, and we tend to think of it that way, but we need to see it as this radical uh, Jürgen Moltmann, the crucified God, that they killed God, but God came back, and God is still coming back. So the radical truth of the Christian faith, that's yes. what she's about. And presenting that in a way, it's a little jarring, I think intentionally so, so that we don't just lull into the same old aphorisms and fail to see the radical nature of what God has done once and for all in sending his son, Jesus Christ, into our world and into our lives. Debbie Blue is a founding pastor of House of Mercy, a congregation that meets in St. Paul, Minnesota, 
She's a graduate of Yale Divinity School. She's a writer. She's written a number of uh, wonderful books, including From Stone to Living Word, Let the Bible Live Again, and also a book called Sensual Orthodoxy. Uh, listen now to Debbie Blue as she preaches from Mark chapter 1 on the great theme of the Incarnation. Mama. this evening comes from Mark, the first chapter, first verse. The beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. The church is constantly making outrageous claims, saying absurd, maybe even slightly irrational things, and asking people to believe them. Easter and Christmas are sort of the pinnacle of the absurd claims. At Christmas, the claim is God became a human being. Not just God became human in some general sense, like if you were just saying that God became human and you meant something like we're all infused with the spark of divinity, that's a much less outrageous thing to say. But to say that God became a particular human being, isn't that sort of an embarrassing thing to say? God became a human being, God became a human being, God became a human being. I feel embarrassed. It seems to put you in some weird category to say that, especially if you said it like you believed it, like the category of weird, crazy, prehistoric people or something, or the category of unscientific, mystical people who believe in fairies and ghosts and the danger of a black cat crossing your path. To say Christmas is about the incarnation of God in the world sounds a lot better. It doesn't have that sound of something so raw and outrageous. But what we mean by it at Christmas is God became a human being. I mean, of course, this is so obvious I hardly even want to say it. But the occasions of the outrageous claims, the holidays, have come to be about something other than that raw absurdity. Those dense and impenetrable proclamations of the church. There's layers and layers and layers and layers that soften and distract and cover it up. It makes so much more sense to make the celebrations about family and traditions, making lefsa and your certain kinds of cookies. It's a little bit lighter and festive. There's nothing that dense and penetrable about that. Rudolph and Santa and elves, they might have a little ring of improbability to them, but at least you're not making any serious claims about anything. I don't think that people are going around to all the shops at Christmas time thinking, God became a human being, took on real flesh and blood and all that to be crucified and resurrected to somehow show us our addiction to death and idolatry so that we might know it and be free to be really alive in love. I'm not sure if the holiday would have survived if people were going around thinking that. Trying to focus on the incarnation seems more weird than festive. It doesn't look like cute stuff and wrapping paper. It looks like... Well, I don't even know what it looks like, but it doesn't look like shopping. I mean, I bought Olivia cute stuff. And I shopped, and I like eggnog lattes and pretty wrapping paper, and I like Swedish meatballs to a certain extent. And I don't get the feeling that cute stuff or the meatballs or the lattes are sinister and evil. But I'm just saying it's all very different than focusing on God becoming a human being. The church actually claims that there was a time in history 
when God became a human being. I hope I don't say that one more time in this sermon. But it's no wonder that we think more about baking cookies and we think more about making our children happy than we think about that. How can you really even focus on that? You can hardly even think clearly enough about it to have any idea what it means. It's not the kind of thing that you could ever really get a focus on. See clearly. It's the kind of thing that's blurry and unclear and puzzling. When I tell my kids, this is what Christmas is all about, and I try to say something about the Incarnation, I hardly even know what I'm saying. And the more I try to explain, the more they stop listening because I'm being unintelligible. Not to mention that I feel like I'm lying, because it's not really true for them that this is what Christmas is all about. And it's not really true for anyone around them, and it's not even that true for me. Maybe it's true for Linus. I mean, I love it when Linus says, this is what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown, but I don't think it's really a very accurate statement. Or maybe it is somehow true. And maybe it's more accurate than anything. But then it's pretty well hidden, under layers and layers and layers and layers. It's the kind of thing that you can try and try to look right at, and it's still pretty well hidden, the incarnation of God in the world. The Gospel of Mark starts out with that sort of Christmas proclamation. This is the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The Gospel is a huge word. It means great news. It means amazing revelation. It means super happy, joyful, thrilling. It comes from a Hebrew word that means to smooth the wrinkles from your face. And I don't know what that might mean. But I like the physical soundingness of it. It seems like a graphic description of goodness. Your face will become smooth. It's like something that makes all your facial muscles relax and your brow unfurl and your teeth unclench and releases all the tension like a face massage or better. It's not something that you call good because you're supposed to, but something that feels really, really, really good. So Mark starts out with that. This is the beginning of this unbelievably on every level good thing. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christmas. And then you think that he might go on in the next paragraph to describe something or articulate that joy somehow. But Mark has that one little bright sentence and then immediately gets dark. There's no trace of a sweet mother with a sweet baby There's no nice domestic setup. You're just immediately in the wilderness with two grown hairy men, one baptizing the other. That's the beginning of the gospel. That's Christmas in Mark. He gets so quickly to the weirdest and the most uncomfortable sort of heart of things, baptizing in the barren, dark, chaotic, hopeless, vacuous place. He gets so quickly to the dying, the darkness. The truth comes and dies almost immediately in Mark. Religion is plotting to kill Jesus by the third chapter. The disciples never understand anything about Jesus. You could hardly tell a more unflattering story about disciples. They're blind and dense and embarrassing. Mark definitely doesn't tell a story that's like, hey, Everybody has a spark of divine light in them, and Jesus comes to encourage that to grow in the heart of each of us so that we may grow into better people. Mark tells a story that is more like, 
God becomes incarnate in the world and nobody understands anything about it and can't see it and most everything they do is set against him and in the end, pretty much everyone conspires in killing God. It's not a story about the nice spark in it, us. It's a story about how the human enterprise is set against God. God became incarnate in the world and the world killed God. It's sort of the ultimate idolatry story. God walked around among the people, right up close to them where they could touch God. They ate with him. They sat next to him at the dinner table. And they they probably even slept next to him in little rooms where they could hear him breathe. And they didn't really get it or see it or understand it or want it. The truth comes and dies almost immediately in this story. It's killed, actually. We know from the opening sentence that Mark thinks that this is somehow the beginning of the most joyful, amazing, good, good news. Hopeful, happy. We have to wonder, in what way? Wouldn't it be better to tell an optimistic story, a story all about encouraging people to be better? Jesus doesn't do hardly any teaching in Mark. He doesn't tell people how to be good, hardly at all. It might make a better lesson, or at least a more festive lesson, if it were a story about encouraging the goodness in all of us to blossom instead of a revelation of the darkness and the unrelenting idolatry at the heart of humanity. What about the ultimate idolatry story could possibly be that thorough and permeating and real goodness? It's a story about people who are a little bit foolish and oddly unable to focus on the best thing. People who don't ever really get it, who follow all the wrong things, wanting what isn't going to fulfill them. People who get sucked into the consumer vortex and eat too much and spend too much and never quite get the perfect peace and love thing down. And these are the disciples, the followers of Jesus, and all the people that God comes for and comes for and comes for again and again and wants, and likes, a lot, and loves. And it doesn't matter that they keep not getting it, keep making idols and more idols, keep getting sucked into the falseness and vacuousness, keep killing God. God keeps coming back from the dead over and over. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, BeesonDivinity.com. Beeson Divinity School is an interdenominational evangelical divinity school training men and women in the service of Jesus Christ. We pray that this podcast will aid and encourage your work, and we hope you will listen to each upcoming edition of the Beeson Podcast.